This message is brought to you by IOM America and the International Fellowship of Exchange Life. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I am your ministry host. We hope that the Lord blesses you today as you listen to our podcast. I want to give a very special welcome to Heartland Family Fellowship of Liberia this morning. So Lester, we want to thank you for your leadership and your direction. And this morning's message for all of you online listeners is titled The Identification for the Physical Area of Life. So let's dive in. Let's look at our slide called The Great Incarnation. Without question, the greatest event in all of history for God and man is the Incarnation. That's not putting on a carnation. It's the Incarnation of the Living God. It's just mind-bending to think about this. We've heard it so often, you're kind of like maybe used to knowing that God, the infinite creator, sustainer, taking on human flesh, becoming a man upon this earth, died for us, crucified our old nature, and placed his very life in the bride of Christ, his bride. I mean, that is just flat out too much for me to comprehend. I don't care how many times I write it, preach on it, think about it, pray over it. It's just way too much. The living God of eternity gives everything of who he is as a father to his son. Inheritance means as a son you receive every characteristic of the father. The number one thing that young men and old men fight daily to this day is being like their dad. When it's an ordained calling of God to be like your father. And that's why there's so much pressure and responsibility on fathers to make sure their identity is in Christ. Because when their boys replicate their characteristics, they're replicating Christ. No, that's not the popular thought today. Everyone's got to be their own person. We got to be our own leader. We got to think it through ourselves and leave the father out. Well, let's see how well that goes for you. Independent people end up in disastrous situations every single day of their lives. And God allows crisis to get worse because of our independence and our arrogance. And if you don't watch for the signs around you, God will collapse your ability. Think think about this and listen very carefully. God will collapse your ability to be independent. And I'm not even going to try to figure out what that looks like in your life. I'm just telling you of watching centuries of God dealing with Christians, that's how it happens. He hates and despises independence. So for us to really get our arms around the fact that the the God of the universe gave everything to his son and his son had to go through this birthing passage through the seed of the father well we all know the reason why there was no sin inside Jesus's body because sin travels through the seed not through a woman's blood Plus, you ladies already know that your blood doesn't mix with the baby's blood. Thus, meaning by science alone proves that a perfect human body could actually be on the inside of an imperfect woman. 
Why did we make the mother holy? Because people didn't take 10 minutes to figure out the science. God said specifically in many passages, sin travels through the seed, not through the blood. Why is all the responsibility put on men? Why is 100% of the scriptures written to men? Why should we not get all caught up in the gender wars that's going on over the Bible? Because if you do, you're getting all mixed up. God speaks to the men in the word because they're responsible for the sins of their families. I can prove that to you scripturally over and over and over again. But since mankind does not understand that, we got to mix the scriptures up with this emergent thought that we got to make everything gender friendly. Can you imagine Christ making the bride of Christ and the world around her gender friendly? He'd be robbing the glory that goes to his father. It's not going to do it. Our next slide shows us that by common confession. Great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in his glory. And of course, that's what Paul told Timothy in chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. By common confession, getting this out of your mouth, this great mystery that I just tried to tamper with in explanation a little bit, the thing about mysteries is you need supernatural interpretation to get them. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside you, you're never going to figure out any of the scriptures, let alone the mysteries in the scriptures. Mysteries are not mysterious by, by evil things being hidden by an evil bushes, so to speak. That mystery is far greater in definition than that. Mystery is in its place for the purpose of mankind. Stay with me on this. Mystery is in its perfect place so that mankind cannot figure it out. Do you understand that? If it's not a mystery, it can be figured out by man. So when Paul talks about in Corinthians about the great mysteries that he's about to speak of, and he even says there that no man, no unsaved man can understand these spiritual things because he's spiritually appraised. So what do we do? We hire theologians to write our translations who don't even have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And we already know some of these translations are dangerous. They're just flat out dangerous. Why? Because they may be able to do linguistics, but they can't understand the great mysteries. It takes the indwelling Holy Spirit to do that. This is what's being said to us about incarnation. Let's move on. Here's our Hebrew for this morning. I apologize to you kids, but we're going to run through this quickly. So I will have to uh, not make use of you this morning. But mystery is one of the longer Hebrew words. 
as if you recall, most of our Hebrew words, no matter how lengthy they are in the English, they're rather short in Hebrew. Not mystery. This word is so incredibly significant in the Hebrew. I want to show you something. We have Tav, which is the cross. Now I believe uh, you and I had a discussion one time about, aren't you the young man that understands Hebrew, can read Hebrew a little bit? In fact, you amazed me just a little bit, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and some people actually see these letters and they, they see the pictures. So this might look like an N, but it's really a cross. And the cross was put in place when the Hebrew language was sketched out before mankind by God, and it was the cross. It is tav, to seal, to have covenant. So that is our first letter. Our second letter is ayin, which is the eye, to see, to know, to experience. And then we have lemed, which is control, authority, and the tongue. If you could picture this even modern Hebrew symbol as a cane to secure someone's walk. That's where it came from. And then we have Vav, which is actually uh, the nail that secures something to the cross. Vav. And then we have Mem, which is a, it's kind of like watching a hurricane. And you're out there, you know, on the ocean and you're in your boat and the, the sea begins to show the power of Mem. Chaos can destroy you in a heartbeat. Finally, we have He, which is to reveal. It's that guy standing up going, I'm about to reveal something. These He's are a great way to describe preachers every Sunday morning. I'm about to reveal something. So we put all of this together, Tav, the nail, Ayin, the eye, Lamed, the stick of control, Vav is the nail, Mem, chaos or massive, and then Khe, which is to reveal. And we have to see the authority of the great reveal. You guys already know what I believe in regard to the triunit of the Bible. The Old Testament, the New Testament, and the book of Revelation. We have been trained and duped basically to believe there's two parts to the Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Fact is, I can show you in history, they had no clue what to do with the book of Revelation. It had a special calling on it, it had a special commission on it, and it had a special warning on it. Anyone who adds or deletes to this word, I will delete you from the book of life. It was a very special book. Well, I believe it's such a special book because it's not supposed to be crammed in there with the rest. God is always about past, present, and future. Always. Why would he throw the Bible in a dichotomy? 
Past, Old Testament. Present, New Testament. And future, Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is that important? You'll never understand the scriptures unless you have a clear window into Hebrew. You have to. You're never going to be able to understand your future unless you have a clear passageway of view into your past. Why does mankind keep repeating their same stupid sins? It's because they won't look into the window of their past. If you can't be taught by a teacher in front of you, you have to be taught by the teacher of your past. Do you understand that? So therefore you will repeat your sin in order to be taught because you refuse to be taught by the teacher in the New Testament. Forget about the future because you think you can manipulate your future. Do you realize that there is nothing on this face of this earth that you cannot manipulate except for one thing? Someone want to guess what that is? Time. The clock. Oh, they're trying. They're t trying to do this time warping thing. They're working on it. There's movies out on it. There are science labs that have dedicated billions of dollars we should be giving to hungry people to try to manipulate the clock. It's the only thing left we've not been able to manipulate. If you mess with the clock, you're messing with the straps. The Hebrew word picture is a band around a heap of wheat. And if you bust that band called clock, time, that wheat will go all over the field, blow in the wind. All those doctrines will just blow to the wind. And people who refuse to look at their past are going to repeat it without question. Your past is your old testimony. This confession in incarnation, this profound mystery that was literally revealed in the flesh by the birth of Jesus Christ was the greatest act of God for man. Certainly not the greatest act of God, but the greatest act of God for man. Now, let's put these two together. Just this sentence we just read and the Hebrew. To see the authority of the great reveal. Remember when we diced up the word authority, even in the Latin? Latin is very good at giving you the definition within the word. We get our language from the Latin. Authority, there's a word in there, and it is author. And if, we, if you remember from previous studies, the word author in the Hebrew is the one who writes the book. There is only one Bible, and there's only one translation. If you don't agree with that, we need to have a little chat. There's no ten Holy Spirits interpreting the Word of God. There's no arguing amongst the Holy of Holies of who is the author and perfecter of our faith. No. One. And if you're not in agreement to it, you're booted out of the kingdom of God. Remember there was a guy that wasn't quite in agreement that God was going to be the only author? 
He didn't have 40 hours of therapy. He didn't have, you know, six days of, you know, seeing if God could rescue him. He made one mistake, chose one sin, and it affected millions of people from that day forward. And it was through saying, I can be the author. And he was removed like a bolt of lightning. Where did he go? Right here. What is he working on? The writing of books is endless. The devotion to those books are weariness to the body. His most mastery trick is to get people to write books. Now I'm not saying that writing books are wrong. In fact, I had one come out this week. I'm just telling you that if it's not enhancing the author, if it's not leading people to the author, it's leading them away. So to see that author so that he can actually reveal to you the future. Who wrote the book, past? How are we to live it, present? How we have to understand our future all has to do with being able to tap into the mystery. How are we going to get to the mystery if it's designed to be kept from mankind? I would tap into the Holy Spirit who is in the middle of the mystery. What is the significance of this? It means that the incarnation was the pattern by which God would continue to show himself to and in human flesh by means of indwelling selected humans to become the bride for his son. You know, I am probably just as tired as most of you are about hearing about evangelism and salvations and you know pray for my rebellious husband he needs to be led to Christ and whatever and it's kind of like praying that someone gets to the grocery store do they need to eat sure they need to eat but that's not the purpose of salvations the purpose of salvations is for God the Father to literally capture the bride for his son. God the Father is fulfilling the number one guideline of a father. It is to provide a bridal member for his son. That's top. Because if that was not top of the list, everything that that father does, he has nobody to pass it to. So his works, his investments, lay in the grave. I cannot tell you of how many stories I've come in contact with in over 30 years of ministry that a whole man's life investment ends up in the grave. State takes the money, does whatever, but he just it stops because he was an independent fool. He stops in the grave. That is not the purpose of familiarity, family. The purpose of family is to take the inheritance that you got from your father and to pass it to your children and so forth and so on, what Proverbs speaks of, very bluntly. 
So this is a huge deal. All humans, both male and female, become potential receivers of the eternal provision pro-vision. The provision of eternal woman, the bride of Christ. Women, I know you guys, some of you might be sick of me saying this formula, but until I start hearing it pronounced regularly, I will keep sharing it. Woman is born woman. She gets born again. Stay with me on it. You can say it out loud. Woman. She's eternally going to be woman. Women understand walking with Christ, in Christ, through Christ, a whole lot easier than men do. Why must we get along with our ladies? Why must we live with them in an understanding way? Why must we grow from and even through them? Is because they understand Christ in a way us men are a little bit dense. But if we're independent, we got to do it our own way and force our women into frustration. Men, on the other hand, are born men. They're born again woman, and they are what for eternity? Woman. So isn't that like a little odd? Like women just have this beautiful transition. They're born woman, born again woman, bride of Christ forever. And men have this, this jolt. We're born men and our daddies teach us how to farm and teach us how to, you know, be men and strong and lead and whatever. And all of a sudden we have this conversion. And that's why with this latest book that came out now, I'm even going to say it on the podcast. Thank you, J.I. Packer, for the work and encouragement that you gave me in writing this book. But he said, this is one truth that the body of Christ rarely hears anymore. And we need to get this book into, into the hands of every body member. Well, it won't. I'll be blessed if I can get it in a hundred hands. Because it's a truth that people don't want to talk about. The fact that the body of Christ is a woman. We're not men. In my relationship with Jesus Christ, I must respond as a woman, the bride of Christ. And that's the facts no theologian can prove otherwise. While I'm on earth, I am to provide the model for Christ leadership to my community, to my home, to my wife, to my children, to my dog. So we're men to model how Christ is to the church. See how it works? Pretty simple, huh? But it is complicating for a lot of men to be able to explain, let alone live it. That means that the whole incarnation purpose and process was for the strict purpose of selecting a bride for his son in order to seal the covenant of promise, the promise that he made to his son. I will find you a bride. You see, if Jesus was a second born, the father would not be obligated to find his son a bride. 
He probably would, but he would not be obligated. Because the inheritance goes to the firstborn male for that very reason. So any father who does not work diligently at finding his son a quality woman who will bear up his inheritance, not spend it, bear up his inheritance, is doing a great thing. Women are not only critical and very important in the structure of the church, they are the models of the church. Why do women end up leading everything in church? I just checked the statistics again recently. From Bible studies to children's programs to adult programs to now even pastoring, who is leading the church? The ladies. Well, I hear that and I go, duh. Of course they are. They understand Christ. Whereas men got to go out and figure it out independently on their own. And by that time, it's usually too late. So they don't figure they can get into the church and do their job before they die. So they just retire the life of Christ. That's the pattern good old-fashioned fa Western civilization is in. Let's break it down. The body, clearly and most certainly, every indwelt believer, and when I use the term indwelt, means you actually have the Holy Spirit living inside you. You're not following the Holy Spirit. Two types of Christians. Mormons can even fit into one category. But an indwelt believer, you're the bride of Christ. So, clearly and most certainly, every indwelt believer has been given the very life of Jesus Christ. The truth and reality of this fact is not only staggering, but impossible to understand without the Holy Spirit making it truth to the believer. Jesus said to the Father in words of the Old Testament prophecy, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Now think about that. A body thou hast prepared for me. What's being said here? I am so radical, I will even say that all of creation is for one strict purpose. It does happen to have a another edge on that blade, but the one single purpose of creation is to fulfill this prophecy. To provide a body for his son's bride. Which is his body because of one flesh. You see, Christ's completeness is dependent upon the Father's work getting him, his son, a body. There's no human that can figure that prophecy out. Sorry. It is too big and beyond the human mind. But he's going to do it. Here's how we, we know the laws of science work. I'm milking a cow. 
generation after generation, century after century, decade after decade, milking this cow. Then it's done. He sets the glass of milk on his eternal counter and he waits 48 hours. Well, we can even be creative and do the Daniel's weeks. The prophetic, numeric, Daniel's weeks that is spoken of in Daniel. He sets that cup out there and I know in human science it's 48 hours. 49 actually is what it stated and you leave it there and what is guaranteed to happen after 48 hours? It goes bad. Okay, but before it goes bad, cream rises to the top. You can go do this experiment yourself. I haven't because I don't have a milk cow, but I've been told it's, it's how it works. What percentage of cream is on the top of that glass of milk? 10%. What are the numeric requirements of offering, offering, or tithing? What are the numbers? 10%. I know God knows how it works because he made it all. That scientific truth can be taken into many elements of science, but we're not having that message today. I'm just here to tell you that all those centuries of reproducing and filling the earth is for one reason alone. Because the science of his design is going to separate the 90% going to get themselves on a wide path that's going to take them straight to I know we don't say it in our postmodern church today but I'm going to say it they're going to hell. He doesn't want it. None of us should want it. But it's the truth. The majority on our wide path, independent path that is going to hell. That narrow path has the 10%. I am not going to be shocked, not one bit. If I get on the other side, I stand before the living God, and I say, God, I've just got to ask this question, even if I need to ask it. I want to ask him, was this whole thing that you blessed me with, or I believe you blessed me with, in my prayer life about the 90-10 throughout the entire Hebrew goes into the entire Greek and every language in the entire world, including science. I got a feeling he's going to say, turn around. Those that you see here, you'll find that it measures out to be 10%. Because why would God put a numeric value on something that is different in the New Testament or Old Testament or the book of Revelation. It's not the God I serve. My God I serve is consistent numerically, theologically, walking, living, breathing truth. Always, always consistent. We should fall in love with Hebrew. We should fall in love with the Old Testament. We should fall in love with our past because Christ was investing and working 
throughout our entire past. His investment, his efforts, his hours. And then to say, oh, I'm not, not going to look at it. Well, you're saying you're a kindergartner in your faith. It's all you're saying. I'm not going to look at it. It is you. It is a part of your identity in Christ. It's a part of your identity in the future forever and ever. There's nothing to be afraid of in your past. Because you've been redeemed. You've been sanctified. Every one of those sins have been washed over with the blood of Christ. You've got a clean past now. Don't be afraid to look at it. It's a part of your story. History. Testimony. Testaments. There's no way any quality theologian can understand Jesus Christ unless they master the Hebrew. I'm sorry. They're going to come up with some kind of new age, emergent Jesus that loves everyone. No one's going to hail. <laughs> That's what it's going to look like. Are you kidding? He warned us clear back in the garden. The nipping of the heel. Whose heel was that? Her heel. Who's the her? The body of his son. It's all there. Doesn't miss, doesn't miss a jot or a tittle. It's all there, thank God. What he did was this. Who is this body that God prepared for his son? During the incarnation, it was his physical body. And then after the ascension, please listen carefully to this, particularly those of us or, or of you that are listening online, is during the incarnation... It was his physical body. And then after the ascension, it became his temple through the indwelling believers who are now the literal body of Christ. Just for a really short period of time, he had to be his own body. I mean, seriously, 33 years, 33 and a half years. That is nothing. His whole life was a vapor here on earth. So 33 and a half years was just simply nothing. Most of us don't even get warmed up until 33 and a half years. You know what I mean? And then it was done. Then he goes to the cross. And then after the cross, there were 40 days. 40 days of separating out truth from lies so that and he happened to go to every single city, town, village he preached at during his three years of ministry. And he wanted everyone to see I was not lying to you. I am here. My physical body is now ready. And you are all my body. You think they got it? Are you kidding? You don't get it. Because if you and I really got it, we would handle these bodies in a whole different way than we do handle them. But that doesn't matter, actually. He just wants us to get it. 
So the process of sanctification can start in working out our salvation. So, that is a very important statement. Incarnation was needed for transformation for the body of Christ. It's just that for you to think about how could millions of people in heaven become the actual body for Jesus Christ. You know why we have divorce today? It's because they don't understand this. People preach about statistics and things about, oh, divorce is out of control and blah, blah, blah. I don't care what they're teaching unless it's leading them back to the incarnation of Jesus Christ and what the purpose of the body of Christ is for, for the being the bride of Christ, and how does incarnation line up with transformation of the body of Christ? It is a mystery. It is a, a mystery that humans cannot understand. I appreciate all of you who work on marriage ministries and trying to fight the statistics of divorce. But unless you're leading them back to this basic mysterious doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and that the body of Christ becomes one with Christ, you'll never understand the exchanged life of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Won't happen. Because everyone's fighting their statistics and their things through their ministries independently trying to make the world a better world but I've got good news for you and this is prophecy things are gonna go to hell in a handbasket they're not going to get better this is not the final resting place for Jesus Christ and his beloved bride a new earth will be formed for that secondly God didn't not do all of that he said that he would do to rid the world of sin but to gain a bride for his beloved son as I said before that is the purpose of creation today the indwelled believers body houses the very life in nature so please understand this most Christians say yes of course I believe the Holy Spirit lives inside my mortal body those very people are clueless on how, how that works, but they'll say that because they know it's good theology. What they don't understand, including myself, is the true impact that that is the first step of becoming the literal body of Christ. He's putting his very nature, his very life, inside me to prepare me for the next step. You gotta remember something. We're still in the engagement process. There's been no wedding feast. But it just so happens that Jewish law requires an engagement to be considered the marriage. So we are married to Christ right now, but you see, we have not been put at the wedding feast table. Consummation has not occurred yet. We have the very spirit of Jesus living inside of us. We have the very nature of God the Father living inside of us. We have the very life of Christ living inside of us. The same Holy Spirit that's in Him is inside us. 
That's just for the engagement. That's like putting on the engagement ring. The next step is when that wedding takes place in heaven, it's not going to be on this defiled earth. Guarantee you that. There's no good going to be on this earth after the rapture. Zilcho, nothing. Everything will go bad, including the trees for you tree huggers. This moment of stepping over and facing our groom is going to be well, I have no words to describe that. And then we're going to be walked over to a feast. We're talking millions of people. A feast. And then there's something going to happen in that last and final step of consummation, which I believe is the route to the new earth. And we're going to live there. We're going to have jobs. We're going to, it's going to, it's very functional. You're not going to be floating around on clouds. It's very functional. This is all preparation for that. To have the life and nature of God in me should be pretty exciting. <laughs> because it is through that life that we are being prepared to meet our husband face to face that'll be a Facebook program you'll never forget so this is why our old nature had to be removed from our mortal bodies through co-death and burial once the old man was crucified Galatians 2:20, his nature could come and house itself in the final temple us the Romans destroying the temple in 61 AD, right around there, needed to happen. So there wasn't any more physical temple. Why? So the New Testament could get launched. His nature could come and house itself in this final temple, and that is us. And this temple or church today is the vessel that he uses to accomplish his work. What used to be synagogue, Old Testament, is now the church, New Testament. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all and in all. Of course, that's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. His nature, the life and nature which the body of Christ possesses, that's us, is possessed also by each individual member of that body. We as indwell believers in Christ all are partakers of the divine nature, and that is the very life of Christ. This is what joins us together as one body and one spirit. Call it what you want, folks. Call it the abundant life. Call it the Christ's life. Call it the Christ in you life. Call it the not I, but Christ. Put whatever label you want to put on this. But please, I'm asking one thing. Be careful about insulting and assaulting teachers and preachers and workers of the cross who understand and who are preaching the life of Christ through them. 
The whole movement gets accusations. The whole life of Christ is getting accusations just like it big, did back in Jesus' day. Can you imagine how radical this sounded when Jesus was preparing his followers that you're actually going to have my life inside you? I am the Son of God and I am going to come and possess you? They should have shot him, but they didn't have guns. So they crucified him. God's going to be in us? That's blasphemy. You think that rejection pattern is gone? Are you kidding? We haven't even seen the worm up yet. You want to insult a Muslim? Tell them you have Christ living in you. Which says to them, you have Allah in you. And Allah shares his glory with nobody. It is the final wave of persecution between Ishmael and Isaac that we have not even seen yet. This truth. It's not the evangelical Christians who are going to be a threat to the world. We're going to turn them mushy and lukewarm. I'll tell you what who's going to be a threat to the entire world are those who understand the incarnation of Jesus Christ indwelling them through the very nature of God. Those are the ones the world will fear because they're immovable. An evangelical Christian, just lie to them. Mush them out. Change their doctrines around in their church. I'm telling you, they're so easy to reform the reformers. Whereas the life of Christ ones are typically immovable. Here's 2 Peter 1.4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that was in the world by its lust. Since this is true, the indwelt life, then is the divine nature expressed in and through human form. That's the incarnation. The very nature of God came in human form to educate you and me that when Christ puts his very nature in us, it won't be so bizarre. So I doubt few people even got that. It literally explains the, in the full timeline of creation. But I just said, simple deal. God had to come in physical form to show us it is possible when he puts his very nature inside humans. Without that peace, we would have never got it, obviously. One of the main arguments in Christian world today is the fight over old and new nature by buying into the lie that old nature is still alive and well within the believer. It would dismiss the divine purpose and function of the nature of Jesus living inside the believer. The nature of God cannot share a temple with a nature belonging to Satan. How unbelievably ridiculous is that? I'll tell you how unridiculous Satan believed that is. Someone please tell me what it says in the book of Revelation, who's going to sit at the throne of the new temple. It's going to be a synagogue temple. 
Who's going to sit in that chair? DK, just want to say it? Say You see, everything he's doing to confuse the evangelical Christians of the world is to set up so they will not fight or be confused or resist the fact that Satan himself is going to sit in the Holy of Holies. He's going to get his, his goal. Remember when he tried to be the author and perfecter of human faith? Oh, that didn't work. He's not done. He's mixing people's minds up about this temple thing so that they don't get the truth and the unbelievable, uh, profound, immovable truth that God will not share his throne with Satan. So you think your old nature is alive and well in you? The black dog is fighting the white dog in you? You are literally sustaining and supporting beliefs and doctrines that are going to set up for the final hour. Well, I'm not buying into it. My old nature, my old man, my old self, call it whatever translation you want to use to call it, is dead. It's been crucified, and I have the nature of God. But see, my body is still fleshly and human, and it's got sin inside of it. So I do choose to follow my body of flesh. But it's not who I am. So who you are is pretty important. I am a temple of the nature of God, which is the Holy Spirit who represents God's divine nature. Here's the core of our belief and then we'll quit. This is all at the core of leading a believer into the exchange life, which is basically not I, but Christ. People of the false teachings of the old nature are suffering a severe case of Godship. And that is playing God. They have their own Bibles, they have their own translations, they have their own interpretations of the translations that have been translated by interpreters that don't even know Jesus. And they on and on and on and on. Words, 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 words. You and I both know the best way to control a culture is to give them a set of words. Write a dictionary. Call it the truth. And that's what has happened. It's playing God. They not only need to be brought to repentance, but they need the Holy Spirit to bring a completed reformation to their, excuse me, to their entire belief system. Each needing to appropriate their identity in Christ through the means of brokenness, surrender, and choosing to believe what God, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit says is already true about them. If you're spending your time praying for the fruit of the Spirit, spending your time praying for the Christian life, spending your time praying to be a better Christian, spending your time, you are wasting your breath. If you want to labor in something, labor in this. Labor to rest. Let it go. You will not find more of Christ through a fight. You'll find less. But if you choose to rest and let the life of Christ just live through you, 
you'll find great peace and peace eternal. For a truth he sealed on the cross many years ago is this whole concept of the exchanged life in Christ in you. For, for if they don't make such a, a transition, they will be forced to walk after their flesh in order to do the works of the Father. Non-Christians walk in their flesh. Indwelt Christians walk after their flesh. In is an identity statement. The very word identity has it in it. In means identity. So in Christ, it's identity in Christ. In the flesh is your identity is in the flesh. If you walk after it, your identity can be in Christ, but you're just wanting to walk after your flesh. It's that simple. It's not complicated at all. Our final identity statement that identity matters is this today. Possessing the divine nature is diametrically opposed to the fleshly belief of Godship. I will be God. The Christ as life way of living should be a fresh cup of cold water to the souls that believe such lies. If it doesn't, there will remain a life that works endlessly to manage the things of God through a fleshly mindset of the flesh. We want to thank you for listening in on our podcast today. This message comes to you by way of a podcast feed from Heartland Family Fellowship, a family-integrated church, which is an outreach of IOM America, right here in Sterling, Kansas. For more information about our church or international ministry, log on to www.iomamerica.org. And if you would like to connect to our fellowship, log on to www. HeartlandFellowships.org It's our prayer that the mind of Christ in you draws you into a deeper walk with Him.